let's turn in our Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's only 19 verses, so it's not a big chapter, so you don't have to be worried. And then we'll look at from 7 to 19 today. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. For as a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested, or tested me, try me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They will always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they would not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, or be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who indeed, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they did not, or could not enter because of their unbelief. Okay, amen. Again, we, we see the, the, the writer of Hebrews speaking to his people. And he has, if you remember from last time, he has been encouraging them to believe more fervently in Jesus, to hold fast to their faith. There was the risk that because of persecution, because of trial, because of the difficulties that were happening to the Hebrews, the Israelites, the believers, they were being put out of the synagogues, they were being persecuted by Herod, they were undergoing all kinds of difficulties in their own land, and it was causing difficulties between 
fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, brothers and sisters, just as, just as Jesus had prophesied that he hadn't come to bring peace, but rather a sword. And that was happening among the Israelites. They were beginning to feel the cost of the burden of having to believe in Jesus. They no longer had to go and offer up sacrifices for sins. Why? All of my sin has been paid for. Could you imagine your mom and dad coming in and saying, well, we're going to the temple, as we always do this time of year, and we're going to go and offer up the family sacrifices. Are you going to come with? No, I don't need to, mom. I don't need to, dad. I have been forgiven. It is finished. Jesus is my lamb. And they're looking at you going, but son, no, this is what our fathers did, our forefathers. This is what we've been doing for thousands of years. This is God's will for us. What are you talking about? Well, no, dad, no. And you try to explain. He's looking at you going, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. People, what will people say? What will people think? What will they say in the temple? What will they say in the synagogue? Your auntie and your uncle are going, what will I tell them if you're not there? That you've become a Gentile? What, do you just get rid of the temple now? You can imagine and understand the complications that believing in Jesus had begun to have on families. Also, the temple tax always comes back to money. Always come back to the money. All these believers who are no longer having to go to the temple. When you went to the temple, you made a donation. Clink, clink. When you went to... Uh, Offer your offering up. You couldn't just put your the denarius or the Roman money. The money was used in the general population. Real money, the euro. They didn't accept that kind of money in the temple. Because it had a little picture of Caesar on it. And that was idol worship. No, no, no. So you had to go to the money changers. Do you remember those people? The money changers. The ones that Jesus had whipped and drove, drove out of the temple. You had to go to those men and you had to change your denarius for temple tokens. Money that could only be used in the temple. And of course the rate of exchange depended. You know, Those men were profiteering. Now the believers no longer had to go to the temple to offer up sacrifice. Therefore they didn't have to pay temple tax. They didn't have to exchange their money. They could keep their money and give it to the apostles and the apostles and the, the leaders of their church would, would distribute it. That was shocking and unheard of because you, know, you were supposed to give your money to the temple. And again, when we say give it to the temple, it would go to the temple and then the, the authorities would take their cut. They would... Pay for their own schemes. Government everywhere. Fleecing the normal population for always. But the believers were no longer having to do that. And so it was causing difficulty and problems. And of course the, the Jews, the Romans, Herod himself as we see in the book of Acts. Began to persecute the church. Herod did it because the Jews loved it. You have men at this time like the apostle Paul. Wandering round. The, the, the area of Jerusalem, of Israel. And we know the Apostle Paul was not alone. He's the one that we know because he's the one that, that's highlighted in the Bible. But there were others just like him, active in the kingdom, seeking out 
inquisitors who would go around seeking those who held to the sect of the Nazarene, or the Nazarite. And so there is this great pressure being put upon the believers. This difficulty. Now they're still Jews. They still identify as being Jews. They, they wouldn't say, well, I'm a Christian. They say, no, I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm living in the fullness of the revelation. This is the, the fullness, the completeness of what it means to be a Jew. You guys are playing catch-up. You don't understand. You're still living in the darkness and ignorance. And so he's writing to them. He, I, one of the, I think it was in Donald Guthrie's commentary. He says, this is a pastor speaking to his congregation. Can you not feel and sense the, the, the heart of a pastor to his people? Here as he's now breaking up this doctrinal piece, he stops in the middle of his stream and turns to have a conversation with his people. As he is trying to demonstrate to them why belief in Jesus is so much more important than a faithfulness to Moses. Why we can, yes, venerate Moses, but Jesus is the real deal. He is God incarnate. He is the Son. He was the one who was to come. He was... Moses is simply a pale reflection of who Jesus is. You know? He was a prophecy in that sense. And he's encouraging him. Don't go back to your old life. Don't go living your life the way you did before you believed in Jesus. Don't dial down your connection to Jesus. Your love and devotion to him. They were still Christians, but they were living less and less Christian lives. They were concealing Jesus, or at least the temptation was, to make less of Jesus and to make concessions to the old way of life. Jesus plus something. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus temple worship. Jesus plus to be a believer in God, you had to add to Jesus. To receive forgiveness of sins, you have to have Jesus plus something else. And so the writer here is trying to tell them, look, don't go back. And we see in verse 7, he does what all good Christian ministers should do. He quotes scripture. And he says, the Holy Spirit says, now we know that it was David, King David, who wrote this, Psalm 95, verses 7 to 11. But the writer identifies it not as just David speaking, but the Holy Spirit through David. It shows and demonstrates this man's conviction that the Old Testament is the Word of God. It is the words of God. It is holy. It's not just the words of men, but it's the words of God. And so he takes it. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you as in the rebellion and as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Here he's really pointing them back to when the Israelites came out of Egypt. He's reminding them of that time when they actually walked with God. Their people walked with God. Do you remember the, when they came out, the pillar of fire before and the pillar of cloud behind? Or was it the other way around? And they can always get them mixed up. 
And that God came down on the mountain and the mountain was covered in fire and God spoke from the mountain to Israel and they heard that he's talking to that time when God first delivered them from Egypt from the slavery, from the bondage that they were under. He delivered them and then he delivers them from the power of their enemy. Do you remember all the, the armies, the chariots, the soldiers of Egypt were chasing after them and God opened up the waters and caused dry land and they all marched across the waters and as Egypt approached and they could see Egypt coming or the Egyptians coming in their chariots and as they crossed the right hand God collapsed the water upon the armies of Egypt and destroyed them delivering them from the threat of violence He's reminding them of the time when God provided manna for them, that bread from heaven, that sacred, special, unknown thing that God provided for them, that God fed them from his own table. They lacked for nothing. When they grumbled and complained and asked for flesh, for meat, God then brought the quail. Remember, it began as a a little dot in the horizon, then suddenly it rained quail upon them. And God said, I'll give them, they want flesh, I'll give them flesh. I'll give them so much meat that it'll come out their nose. They'll beg me not to eat flesh anymore. And he did, he provided for them. Do you remember the other time when as they were traveling through and they were thirsty and they began to grumble against Moses and against God? Why do you bring us out here in the desert to die of thirst? Moses got angry, didn't he? And he took a staff and he struck the rock. Disobeying God because God said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck it and a gusher of water appeared and God gave them water from the rock. They, They saw these things. They experienced it. They knew with their own eyes the reality that God was with them and God was protecting them and providing for them and shepherding them. And yet still their hearts grew hard. Even though God had delivered them and protected them from violence and provided for them time and time and time again, yet all that happened was their hearts grew harder and harder and harder. And this pastor speaking to his congregation, he's warning his people. He sees the danger among his own people that the very thing that happened amongst the Israelites who came out of Egypt may be happening to his people there in front of him. And indeed the Holy Spirit warns us, the church of our age, about the very same thing. That even though God has delivered us and saved us, and redeemed us and brought us out of the old life and protected us from the violence of a false religion and has set us upon a path and walks with us and protects us like a shepherd shepherding his sheep. Yet we too can run the risk of allowing our hearts to be hardened or indeed hardening our hearts against him. Despite all of the blessings we have seen, despite all of the goodness we have experienced, we run the risk of becoming apathetic, careless towards God.
Here he's pleading. The the pastor is pleading with his congregation. God is pleading with the congregation. Do not harden your heart. The idea of hardening the heart, it's it's the idea of, like, when you're uh, lifting weights, lifting weights, and you get calluses on your hand, it's very cool. Or you walk barefoot in the summertime, at the beginning of the summer, you're like, ah, oh, ah. at the end of the su- summer, you can walk through stony car parks. It doesn't f- affect you whatsoever. Why? Because you get those hard pads on your feet through the use of it. You're no longer sensitive. There's no longer that sensitivity because the skin has become thick and calloused and hard. That is the warning. These people, because of their lack of attention, because they have been continually brushing up against sin, because they have been continually resisting the warnings from God, their hearts, their conscience, their minds have steadily grown hard. And unbelief, unbelief has hardened their heart. They no longer are sensitive to what God says. They no longer desire to live according to God's word. And these are God's people. I'm not talking about the unbelievers. For their hearts are not sensitive. They are still dead in their trespasses and sins. We're talking about believers. Hardening your heart as you did yet in the rebellion. The word is... uh, I just completely forgot the, 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 the Greek word. It's the only time it's used here in the New Testament. means that that time when you turned away. We're not talking about an insurrection. We're not talking about a kind of armed takeover. It literally means when, when, when you just stop caring. You just replaced me. You know, you turned your back. You ignored me. There's this kind of like putting off. No longer did I matter. It's like when a husband and a wife, their marriage breaks up. And the husband goes and sleeps with someone else. He rebels against his wife. He, He turns away and just does his own thing. Regardless of the consequences, regardless of the feelings, regardless of the pain, regardless of the promises and contracts made, he turns away. And there is this heartbreaking rebellion. And that's the warning here. And the pleading. Do not harden your hearts, people. Do not harden your heart as you did when you weren't a believer. And again, when I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking, here, the Holy Spirit is saying, don't live like you're, you, like you're still an unbeliever. Don't be godless. Don't live like an atheist. Don't live in such a way as you did before you knew me. Don't allow your heart to become Hardened slowly, slowly over time until it gets the point when I'm no longer relevant to you in your life. When I'm no longer an important person for you. 
we know each other, but you're just not interested. You've no time for me. You don't hear what I'm saying. And what I have to say is not important to you. You just live your own life and according to your own will. The Holy Spirit, through the writer speaking to his church, this pastor speaking to his church, but God speaking to us all throughout all the ages. Because, beloved, this is a, a problem that's common to all men. That we, we become apathetic, lethargic, lazy in our faith. When difficulties and hardships come, we allow them to eclipse the Lord. And we get pulled aside. We get tired and weary. And we want an easy life. And the temptation there is to just do what works. We're very pragmatic, aren't we, as human beings? Whatever works, just do it. It doesn't matter if it's right. We just do what works. And we get it out of the way. He's reminding them of their, of their people's experience in the Old Testament. And he's showing them and reminding them of, if it happened to them, if it happened to them, it can happen to us. God delivered them. They had Moses. And Moses went before them. And it happened to them. We have Jesus. And he has gone before us. And he has delivered us. And taken us out of the Egypt. Of the bondage of sin. And he is our shepherd who walks with us. And goes before us. And he is the the water from the well. He is the true manna. He is the true flesh from heaven. Do we think that we are in the vulnerable and that this danger isn't one that we, we should worry about? In verse 10, the Holy Spirit says again, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and they do not know, and they have not known my ways. These are the people whom God delivered from Egypt. Let my people go. Was not the message that God gave Moses before Pharaoh? That was God speaking. Not Moses speaking. That was God speaking. Let my people go. And yet that's the same people whom the Holy Spirit says, Therefore I was angry with that generation. Not just with an individual, not just with one or two, not just with a handful of people or 20 people or 30 people, a generation. An entire generation. Think of all the people who were in your year in school. Were within 10 years to 10 years. I'm never quite sure how long a generation is. All the people your age, God is angry with that generation because they have hardened their hearts and they have scuffed their t- and they have rolled their eyes like, like teenagers, you know. Oh, must we? Oh, God, walk across the desert, Lord. Oh, really? We, we'd be so childish in our Devotion to God. And they were childish. And God here saying. I was angry. Angry. Why was he angry? Because he said they always go astray in their heart. 
You might say to me, Kyle, you don't know my heart. Nobody knows my heart. You're right. I can't see into your heart. I would never speculate what goes on inside you, between you and God. But I can make a pretty good guess based upon your behavior, upon your faithfulness, upon what you are devoted to. How you love the Lord is shown very clearly in your interactions with other Christians. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there too is your heart. That thing which is most important to you, that that which is your God, is the thing you give most time to. That you are devoted to, passionate about, invested in that which you spend your money on. I might not know your heart, but I can see the fruit of your heart by the acts of your flesh, of what you do in your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you interact with brothers and sisters. See, God is interested in the hearts of men. He's not interested in your outward devotion. Whether you go to the temple, whether you pay your temple tax, whether... You come to church meetings. He's not interested in your outward devotion. He's not interested in how good you look. How well your hair is brushed. Your beard is trimmed. How long the length of your skirt is. Maybe what you know what I mean. He is interested in your heart. What is your heart fixed on? Is it open to him? Is it willing and able and wanting to hear his voice and to please him and to live in such a way as he has dictated? Or is it like a petulant child? I want to do what I want to do. I will do whatever I want to do. No one can tell me what to do. You just get on with your life. And we all, we've all seen those children. We've seen those children, haven't we? Now, ah, 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 and they kind of look at you, smile like, ooh, yes, ooh, and then straight for the door. We've all had those children, yeah, some sense. Or, the problem here isn't an outward one, it's an inward one. But the inward also is a reflection of what happens on the outward. The outward is a reflection of what happens on the inward. God was angry with them because their hearts were set on other things, on idols, golden calves, on their own appetites, the things that they loved to do had eclipsed God, had taken his place in their affections, and their ear had become deaf and their heart had become hard and God says then also the the B side of that verse 10 and they do not and they have not known my ways one might say because they did not know his ways their hearts were far from him indeed their hearts were far from him because they did not know his ways they did not care God expects me to behave and to care for other people. 
To behave in such a way as I sacrifice my life for others. As Jesus sacrificed himself for me, I then am to live in such a sacrificing way. I think that's a word, sacrificing way. We're to give of ourselves and ask nothing in return. To give and give and give and give and forgive and give and forgive and give until there's nothing left. And then we're to give more. As Christ did for us, so we are to do for those around us. I am to care. To actually care. Not just to, to be nice. How oh, are you doing? Well done. You know, and have that kind of bleh, face value affection. I hate that. I'm a real, I'm an all in kind of guy, you know. I'm a, I jump in and I, if I was a dog, I'd be a Labrador, you know. <sighs> Slobber all over you. Because I care. The Lord has moved and changed my heart and I care because God has called. We are to care. But we don't do it because of that. Because I'm, I'm a nice guy. And I, really want. I care because God has commanded me to care. We care because God has loved us and cared for us and given us everything. And all we have is a gift from him. And he has dictated to us how we are to live our lives. This is one of the reasons why we spend so much time as a church reading through the Bible. This is why we spend so much time in our midweek meetings or in our Bible studies reading through the Bible. We spend so much time in the epistles. Those beautiful works where... The apostles write down the doctrine and then they write into practical theology. Therefore, love one another. Therefore, live like this. You husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Children, fathers, you know, goes through the whole household. Then he goes into the, the slaves and the masters, work things, you know. Talks about government. Talks about relationships. Talks about how you and I are to interact with God. Why do we do that? So we might know his ways and that that might guard our hearts. I always remember years ago, I I listened to an interview with John MacArthur. Uh, It was on a panel and it was like Sproul and Piper and and John MacArthur. And and the the man who was interviewing him said, Dr. MacArthur, uh, uh, can you just... Help us, you know, how, how do you combat the temptation and sin? And he says, well, to be honest, when temptation comes, when those little birds spring up, when those little, little tempting thoughts burst into my mind, he said, scripture then just poof, immediately pops up into my head. The Lord says, boop, 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 boop. And then I just... That temptation is thrown out because Scripture guards my mind. What does it say in Psalm 119? How can a young man keep his way clean? By living according to your word. Beloved, God was angry with this generation coming out of Egypt because their hearts were always going astray. They were always loving other things. They were always lusting after other things. They were always just kind of wandering away like lost children in the supermarket. You know, like you turn around and they're gone. 
God is always having to look for them. Where are they? Because they did not know his word. They did not take time to listen. And they purposely did not take time to listen. It's a double thing. They hardened their hearts against the voice of God in order that they might live their life according to their own plans, purposes. And they lived their lives that way because they didn't know God. And they purposely did not, and I don't want to say did not know God, they did not know His ways. They refused to learn or to live out what God wanted them to do. They had hardened their hearts against Him. And therefore God says this in verse 11, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That should frighten all of us. That should frighten all of us. Now, for you and I, if you are a true believer, I am not saying that this means that God will revoke your salvation. This is not saying that God will, will oh, you failed, you're yeah, right. We, we, we acknowledge that everlasting life is a gift that is given for forever. It's eternal life, and it's eternal life. It's called eternal life because it lasts forever. And it, you can't lose it because it's given forever. The rest that I believe he's talking about here is the fullness of the life that God has. I've preached about this before. The potential Christian living. There is a potential life in Christ. The fullness, the extent of it, the liberty that is available for us all. And yet, so few of us ever live up to so few of us ever really go into. We love our life. We love the comfortableness of our lives. We love our wives and our kids and we don't want to put them into hardship or difficulty. If the Lord calls me to the jungles of, of uh, the Amazon, where are my kids going to go to high school? You know? Where are they going to watch Netflix? You know, where are they going to get their cell reception for, for their phones, you know? I think my, my boys should have their phones engrafted in their hands. You know, it's just continually there, glued on. And because of those concerns, we limit our relationship with God. We have too much other things to do than spend time in prayer. We, we live the atheistic lifestyle. If we were to be examined, if a film crew was to follow us around... What do you call that film where they did that with Jim Carrey? Um, I can't remember. Would you know, I mean, that Jim Carrey film where they, they follow him around. This child grows up and they're filming him, you know? Truman. Truman Show, that's right. That's exactly right. If that was to happen to us, and people were to be watching us day and night, every moment when we slept and everything... How much evidence would they find in our private, personal life that we are devoted to Christ? Would they see people devoted for, to secret prayer? Of closet prayer? Of religious fasting? Of devotional Bible reading? I don't mean just reading your 10 chapters a day. Devotional, several from the Old Testament, several from the New Testament. But people who read the scriptures to find Christ, 
People who read the scriptures because they understand that the deceitfulness of sin is so strong that without God's help, I will fall away. I will burn out. I will dry up. I will grow weary and my heart will grow hard. And and I will fall away. I will rebel. I will turn my back on. I won't stop being a Christian. I just won't be devoted. I will be limited. And so here in this text, the, when he's talking about the, the not fully or going into the fullness of his rest, beloved, there is a, a life with Christ that you and I do not know. A fullness. Now, we're, we're readers here for the most part. We've read the devotionals or the, the biographies of great Christian men and women before us who have great, I use the word great, men and women who've gone before us, who have lived Christian lives to the fullest or tried to. They have given their all to Christ and Christ has used them and changed the world. And we're greatly inspired by that. It should be at least. Here the writer, the pastor to his congregation, Holy Spirit to the church, is warning his people, their people, our people, us, of the dangers of dialing down your devotion, of becoming distracted by the things of life, of growing weary and hard-hearted. And that there is a consequence to that. You know, God cares. God is concerned about your walk with him, about your devotion. He did not save you for you to go out and live your life the way you want to live it and ignore him at every possible cause and con. Yeah, well, I love you, Lord. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And then go away. It's so sad that all of us, for the most, spend more time on our phone than we do in the Bible. More time on our phones than talking to our wives or husbands or Beloved others, more time on our phone than talking to God. We know what's happening more in, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever these other things, Getter, or whatever these things are, Twitter, I don't know, than we do, than, than, we, than we know what God is saying in the Word. And the Bible says that there are consequences to that. That God doesn't put up with that. He's warning his people. All we're down through the ages, he's warning our people. Don't allow your hearts to be hardened because there are consequences. He wants them to realize that the God that we serve is the living God. And he goes on to say that, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be any part of your... Uh, any of your uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing away from the living God. Beware. That's a great word. Jesus uses that word a lot. Beware. Be on your guard. Be careful. Be introspective. Watch out for. See up. Take particular attention in order to avoid this. He's not saying, you know, 
be casual about it. You know, ah, it doesn't really matter. It's a warning. You know, have you ever seen a, someone throw a ball and it accidentally goes in the wrong direction? It's going towards a crowd and there's people in the crowd and the ball's like, and you shout, look out! And everybody's, oh. Have you ever played golf when I was young? I used to be my dad's golf caddy. Never played a game of golf in my life. I, I, silly golf, whatever it's called. I've done with Sarah. Never again. But when I was young, I used to carry my dad's golf bags because my dad made me. I hated it. My dad wasn't especially good at golf, but he enjoyed it. And he would hit the ball. Smack. And when the ball went the wrong way, you'd have to shout, four! And everybody would like, Look for that ball. I said, like this side, I don't know how people would see it coming if it hit you. But they'd all like, you know, everybody would look. They'd be shouting four, watch out. And immediately there's this, everybody in the golf course reacts. I used to think it was funny. And for, as a child, I once just used to randomly shout four on the golf course when I was with my dad. And that's one of the reasons why he stopped bringing me. And I did it purposely to annoy him because he forced me to be as good. So I would shout four in the middle of golf. And everybody would be like... And there would be no ball, you know? And my dad would be like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> it's a stupid child. I was that childish, and still am. But that's what he's talking about here. He's beware. Can you understand and sense the urgency of that word, beware? It's not a, a casual word, it's a word of action, it's a word of alert, it's a word of warning. Beware. Brethren, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the unbelievers? Is he talking to the ones with a question mark? No, he's talking to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who partake of that heavenly gift. To you and to me. Beware that any of you have an evil heart of unbelief. Wow. Do you know that you can have an evil heart of unbelief? As a believer. As a Christian. Your heart... Because of unbelief can be considered evil. I'm not saying you grow horns and have a pitchfork. I'm not saying you go around and commit mass murder and do wicked, terrible things. But because of the unbelief in your heart, your heart has become indifferent towards God. You're no longer his helper, his assistant, his child, or you're still his child, forgive me, but in some sense, there is this wickedness. God has done everything for you. He's given everything. He, Jesus gave his own blood. He poured out his life for you, and yet you live in this state of unbelief. Now, I'm not saying that you deny Christ, but rather you just refuse to live in accordance to what he has called you to do. You're slow. You would love, you love more the things of this world than you love the things of Christ. You've become distracted. You've turned aside. You're looking back like Lot's wife. And we are commanded and told that we are to watch out for this. And that this evil heart can then. Help us depart from the living God. Depart. You can be a Christian. You can be here this evening. Part of this congregation. 
a heart that's evil and full of unbelief. A heart that refuses, like a petulant child. I don't want to be, God, I don't care what you say. And in so doing so, depart from him. Have no part of him. Verse 13, he gives us the antidote against this. He gives us the, the, the healing balm. He gives us the, the, the answer of how to fight against this evil heart of unbelief. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Again, you all know I love that word, exhort. To speak positively to one another. To bless one another. To encourage one another. To keep on going. Not to give up. Not to give in. Not to turn back. Not to remain dead. Not to be death. But keep going. You can do it. And when to do this? Today. It doesn't mean that we should have church every single day. Although that would be glorious. While we meet, every time we meet, it's today. Every time we, we, we see one another or just at home, send a text message, not stinging about you today, may the Lord bless you. Send a Bible verse. Be there with one another. May there be an interaction. And not just, no, I was thinking about you today. Bible verse, send scripture, send the promises of God. Pray for one another. May there be connections. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know a hard heart? I wish a hard heart was just the worst of it. I wish a hard heart. He said, well, I'm a Christian and I, you know. Not really like into all this religion stuff. I wish it would just stay there, but it doesn't. See, sin is a deceiver. It tells you, well, I'm not doing any harm. I'm not really doing anything. Your heart's hard. And temptation comes. And you're like, well, maybe just this one little thing. And then and more temptation comes. Well, nothing happened the last time I did it. Take a little bit more. Nothing happens. Although the Spirit of God has spoken. And you say, well, I felt a little bit guilty. I know that God has said in the Bible. But, you know, there was no bolts from heaven. No, no fire storms. God didn't appear in front of me in food. I kind of got away with it. So we go on a little bit more. And a little bit more. And a little bit more. Until... Men's case, adultery. I've told you that story before, haven't I? About the pastor I knew in Ireland who, after many years of faithful service, left his wife and had an affair with the worship leader of the church. It all began, I spoke to him, remember speaking to him afterwards, and I asked, how did this happen? How did, what, what, what? I, I've always regarded you as a great man, but what, what happened? It's, well, you know, it's, 
I was coming home from work one day, I had a really bad day, it was raining dark in Belfast and, and uh, I would pass the newsstand and in the newsstand there were all the newspapers and at the top there were the, the pornographic magazines on the top shelf. And he says, you know, they always, always had a little, was always aware that they were there and I would never look at them, you know, just until one day he was so tired, so hard in his heart, he looked and then he looked a little bit more. And then it went a few weeks and he looked again. And until one day when he was coming home from work and he was so hardened in his heart that he bought one. Put it inside a newspaper. Took it home. One thing led to another. And then a sympathetic lady in church and him. And then they, they had an illicit relationship which turned into a sexual affair. And he lost everything. He lost his marriage, his relationship with his children. He lost his church. All because his heart began to get hardened. Let us never think that we, we are above this or that somehow in some way it, it's not really a a danger to you and me. Sin is a deceiver. It will tell you you're strong enough. Oh, you're, you, oh, you don't have a problem with it. You don't have a... No, no. You can stop anytime you want. No danger for you. There's no hardship. No, no, no. God forgives you. God, God, God loves you. You're a Christian. Yeah, you know, you, ah, this, this is not really sin. It's not really sin. It's not really sin. It's a, it's a cultural thing. Whatever sin might say, to try and appease your conscience, as soon as you begin to drink that down, you are doomed. Beloved, exhort one another. Speak scripture to one another. Let us keep the faith alive with one another. Let us, be, let us be a Bible church. When we first started this church, we were a Bible church. Now, supposedly we were a reformed church. I would rather be a Bible church. I'm a man of the Bible. I remember when we, we started way back in 2009, there were all these movements to back to the Bible, to back to the Bible. And where are they all now? They're all disappeared. The devil knew those are the dangers. The devil was like, you know what? Well, I don't mind if they start this coalition or that group or whatever, but let's get the Bible out of the church. Let's get people out of the scriptures and into their feelings. Oh, God, I hate feelings. It says in verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And there's the warning, beloved. How do you know that you're a believer? Will we, we continue to the end? We hold fast. The idea there is we hold desperately. We're clinging to. Not victorious like you know, mega guys in the gym picking up big weights like they're nothing. But we're talking like, a, like you ever seen the Titanic? The film? I know I have film references today. You ever seen at the end where the girl is holding on to the door and Jack slips away? That's, I've never Well, we did see the film. I don't remember anything of it. That's the only scene I remember where Jack slips away. And I always thought, was there not enough room on that door for two? Why did she have to kind of let him go? 
But she clung that woman. I can remember her name. She clung to that door that was floating on the ocean until they saved her. We are to cling to Christ desperately. Not casually. Well, yeah, you know. Whatever. As if your life depends on it, we are to cling to Christ steadfast that you couldn't remove my fingers with a crowbar. Not with this kind of fake idea of somehow in some way God has a hold on me and no matter what I do. You know, you've seen those children again, haven't you, in the supermarket and the parent has to hold on to it, otherwise the child's everywhere. Some of us know a bit more than others. God doesn't want us to be like that. That's our nature. But God doesn't want us to be like that. We have to hold on to his hand. And we must until the end of our journey. Not just for a time. For a month or two months. Have we not seen people who make professions of faith. And they come for a time. And they're enthusiastic. And they say all the right things. And they're oh it's so great to be here. But after a few months. After a year. Their passion. Their fervor. Their happiness. Their joy. Starts to dwindle. And their hearts get a little bit hard. This is not what I wanted. I wanted excitement. I wanted fire and life. <laughs> Where's all this? I want to be against people and start wars. And it's not about that. It's about Christ and living in such a way as to be devoted to him. For how long? Until the end of time. We used to say whack. Back when we first started the church, we were trying to develop a lifestyle for a lifetime. It's one of my sign bites. I used to do sign bites a lot. A lifestyle for a lifetime. It's not for two or three months. It's not for two or three weeks. It's not for two or three days. It's for the rest of your life. It's until the end of your days. Either Christ comes back and plucks you from the earth. Or they're putting the dirt on your coffin. You're a Christian. And you're holding fast to Christ. And then again, he repeats himself. Today, if you hear his voice, verse 15, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He really wants his people to remember that they're not to allow their hearts to be hardened. They're not allowed to... He's not talking to the unbelievers. I used to quote this verse, the unbelievers. God is speaking to you today, and if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to you and to me that we shouldn't become apathetic, careless. We shouldn't live in a godless state like what atheists who have no relationship to him. We shouldn't live in such a way as we did when before we were believers. We should not harden our hearts. As we did when we were not Christians. We shouldn't live like non-Christians. There should be a difference. A a marked difference. A heart difference. And then he asked this series of five questions from 16 to 19. Who then having heard rebelled? Indeed was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? He's asking them questions. They're rhetoric. 
Questions that they know the answers to. He's not waiting for them to answer the question. He's just shooting the questions at them. He's painting them into a little box. Who was it who rebelled? Well, it was those who came out of Egypt. You and I, who was it rebelled? Those who professed faith in Christ. Those who God had delivered from the sinful world and set upon the journey. Who was he angry with those 40 years? Was it not all those who sinned? Why is the world the way it looks today? Yeah, you know that I'm not one of these people. I'm not, I'm not a post-millennialist, although I have post-millennialist tendencies. You all know this. I don't believe in that we should have a, a, an empire of Christ upon this world, but I do believe in the sanctifying effect of the gospel. That when the gospel gets in, the world changes. That society reflects those Christian virtues. When society rejects Christ, then all hell breaks loose. Think of, of Uganda. You think of, of the Congo. You think of China. You think of all these countries. Uh, Iran, Iraq, the 1040 window of this world, the Muslim world, where they have rejected Christ and just wickedness. Wickedness dwells. Who was he angry with? Beloved, if we, the church of God, took our duty seriously and prayed and sought him and cried out with one voice and lived lives that demonstrated the truth of our confession and preached the gospel fearlessly, carelessly, with no embarrassment, would God not work? Would God not intervene? You ever wonder why the church is the state that it's in today? Because so many of us have hardened our hearts. So many of us have turned away. So many of us embraced the world. Who was it? Our beloved brother there showed me last time we met the, the Leave It magazine and their embracing of women pastors who take their chance seriously. When you reject God's word, you reject God. And no matter how sincere you intend to be, no matter how serious you take your chance, if you're rebelling against God, you're going in the wrong direction. And all of your service is nothing. It's like filthy rags. It is unacceptable. It is strange fire upon the altar. And it is obnoxious to God, an abomination to God. But beloved, why is the world, why is the church in our generation the way it is today? Because we have had generations after generation after generation of people who have hardened their hearts against the word of God and have gone their own way. They have turned to their back and they are dwelling in rebellion. Now it's easy for us to point to them and say, well, it's very apparent. But they're there today, but they didn't start there. I thoroughly believe that they were once faithful. God saved them in their denominations and in their groups or whatever they were. They were faithful to the word. They heard the voice of God. They felt the moving of the spirit and they sought to be his. But then hardship comes, difficulty and trial. And they grumble and they mumble. 
And they closed their heart and they said, well, that's too hard to live, Lord. That's too hard to obey. And people mock them and they, they hide. And they, they carry the cross, but then they, they put wheels on it to make it easier to carry. Or they make a paper cross. And they put stars of stuff and they separate Jesus from the gospel and they do all these other, other kinds of... They didn't start out where they are. They started from somewhere. And it was a gradual, slow process until they are in the apostasy that they are in today. And that should warn you and me. It should warn all of us. Personally and collectively as a group. That we are to guard our hearts. That we're to not allow them to be hardened. And there's an active part in that. He doesn't say, cry unto me and I will unharden your hearts. There is, you have to take care of your heart. Just like you have to take care of the body, apparently. <sighs> Go to the gym, work out, eat properly. It's like, it's like prison. You have to, you know, exercise, all the things I hate. But if you want to live a happy, healthy lifestyle, you must get into shape, those kind of things. But the same goes for spiritual work. If you want to remain healthy spiritually, you must practice the spiritual virtues. You must work out spiritual. You must take care of that heart in order that it does not become hard. That the little whispering voices of sin, the tempters come along. It's like, you don't need to do that. That's not important. Yeah. Eat another donut. Eat another donut. Just sit and watch TV. Spend five more minutes on the internet. Watch this. Watch that. Don't do this. Don't say anything. Sit there and be quiet. Let the world go to hell. It's not your problem. Beloved, we must guard our hearts. We must always remember that as God was angry with Israel when they escaped Egypt. Not, he wasn't angry because they escaped Egypt. They were, he was angry because they, they were, had hearts full of unbelief and they just grumbled and they mumbled. It was so much better back then when we lived in Egypt. At least we had our own gardens. We'd get cucumbers and garlic and onions. Now we're in the desert. Yes, we're free. <laughs> yes, God's with us, but it's hot. The sand's hot. Hit freedom. Hit liberty. Lord, why did you call me to this life? <laughs> and they get angry at, at Moses. And they get angry at God. And they shake the fist. Grumble and they mumble and they complain. God was angry with them. Beloved is... He's warning the church. He's warning you and me about the hardness of heart. About the, the essential nature of guarding and changing and transforming our behavior. Not just outwardly so people can see. Inwardly. Lord, guarding, I'm guarding my heart so that I don't say this, so I don't think that, so I don't give up, so I don't give in to, to weariness and carelessness and, and apathy that doesn't care about anything. 
That I don't give in to bad habits of prayerlessness and of Biblelessness, of bad habits of, of being atheistic in my lifestyle. There is the understanding here in the text that you're going to do something about it. God demands you to do something about it. One of the things I find very difficult in our generation is because I'm, I'm, well, I'm 47 years old. I know I don't look it, but I am 47 years old. Um, and yet when I'm dealing with people who are somewhat younger than me, there is this expectation that things will be given to them and done for them. Like my boys. When I was young, my parents never drove me anywhere. I walked everywhere, took a bus somewhere, had a bicycle. I, I never asked my parents for lifts. never considered even asking my dad for lifts. My dad would have looked at me and said, is there something wrong with your legs, son? Do we need to go to the hospital? <laughs> What's the matter? My mom would have just laughed and <laughs> walked away. But there's this expectation that, that things will be given free. That you don't have to work hard. You don't have to seek after or investigate or find out that somehow in some way money is given for free. I was talking with my with Levi. We were coming back from the shops yesterday, from town yesterday. And he got very angry that he didn't get to spend his five euros because we couldn't find any Pokemon cards. Let's just wait. And uh, we had this conversation. I said, son, you don't spend your money. And then he wanted to spend his five euros or me give him money so that he could then buy something else from town that was you know, Lego for 29 euros. How, why is he not allowed to buy Lego for 29 euros when he has five euros and I'll pay the rest? And we had this conversation in the car. Son, do you know how much time it takes to make five euros? How much time it takes to, to make 29 euros? Where does money come from, son? You just give it to me. <laughs> nothing is for free in this life. And nothing of any worth comes at no cost. And here, the Holy Spirit, through the writer, through the prophet, through this pastor to his congregation, and down through the ages to you and to me, is saying that there must, this guarding of our heart, this changing of our behavior, this changing of our affections and our focus comes at a cost of repentance. Not just feeling bad. That's regret. Regret isn't repentance. Repentance is the changing of one's mind, the changing of one's behavior, the changing of one's lifestyle. You know that Jesus said, you know, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. Beloved, we must understand who it was that God was angry with and whose corpse, who had sinned and who had fallen into the wilderness and to whom he had sworn, verse 18, that they would not enter his rest. But was it not with those who did not obey? Isn't that frightening? Isn't that frightening? That there is a, God might close a door to you. You might so harden your heart that God might just say, okay, that's fine. Just sit there. You will not enter into my rest. 
when you think of this, you understand why so many congregations, so many denominations are in apostasy today. Why so few people, the light bulb goes off, and why they come to a, a Bible understanding of the faith. I don't want to use the word reformed. It's Bible. It's Christian. It's real. Because God has said in his anger with them, this generation shall not enter my rest. Oh, Lord. Oh, that we, the church of God, would hear his voice. That we, the church of God, would not make the mistake of the generations that have gone before us. Dare we think that we will not face the same temptations that they faced, the same trials that they faced, go through the same tribulations that they faced? Do we think that we're unique as a church? No. Let us hear and see and know the warnings that have gone before us. Let's look. You know the old saying, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Let us be wise in our understanding. Let us learn from the mistakes of others. From the Israelites coming out of Egypt. From the Hebrews that this pastor is speaking to. From the generations of churches that have gone before us in our time in the last hundred years. I remember... Listening to the Reverend Ian Paisley preaching online, of course, and and uh, he bewailing that in his lifetime he never saw revival, never saw revival as they'd seen revival in the times past in the eighteen fifties revivals, eighteen sixty revivals when entire nations were swept into the kingdom. Oh, why is that? Is it not because God's people have hardened their hearts and are unwilling to, to walk in his ways and keep his requirements? That God's people have been led astray by the fantasies and fancies of this life? That they're unwilling to pay the cost? They want a nice life with a nice wife, with a nice house, with a nice kids, with nice cars. They want a, a costless Christianity, a cheap grace. They don't want to walk the walk with Christ and endure the difficulties. The writer here is warning his people not to go back to the lifestyle before they met Christ. Not to include anything. Not to dial down or to tame their faith. Not to simply, well, I'll go to temple with you now. You know, I personally don't believe in it, but just for the sake of the family, I'll come and show my face so my auntie, whatever Jewish name include there, auntie, whatever her name, doesn't get offended by it, you know, so that my grandmother doesn't get angry or get hurt in her heart because I've embraced Christ. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Beloved, let's stand fast in our faith. Let's not give in, not give up or give any space for the deceptive nature of sin to harden our hearts. To deceive us into thinking that there's an easy way. Let us be bold. Let us enter into us. 
Do you understand that there's a rest promised for us? Again, I'm not saying that this is eternal life. I'm talking about the life that God has for us today. There is a blessing for those who walk in his ways and keep his word. A fullness of life. A reality that yet we have not experienced. I'm not talking about second blessings. I'm not talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Falling down, rolling around, barking like a dog. That's not what we're talking about. But there is a depth and a breadth. A width to this experience with Christ that we have yet to experience. Be thrilled on that. Don't give up and go, well, it's just so boring. We just do the same things all the time. Beloved, you're focusing on the outward and not on the inward. On the inner man and his relationship to Christ. Again, if we were to follow you around with a video camera looking for evidence, Would we see you in secret prayer? Regular secret prayer. Would we see a man committed to his God, interceding and loving and living his life for the glory of the living God? Or would we see a person who's a a practical atheist you have Christian trappings you have Lots of Christian books. We say Christian things. But when it comes to the very core, we have grown hard and weary and tired and have been deceived into thinking it's okay. Get away with it. Nobody cares. We're all going to heaven anyways. Oh, beloved, there is a a reality to this life that we have yet not experienced. It says here in verse 19 in closing. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. These are Christians. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the reality of the life that we are living today. The fullness of the life. A greater experience of the life. Again, not second blessings or baptism with spirit just the full walk with Christ the extent of it the reality of it don't think miracles and what it is all this we're just talking knowing him and being known by him being used by him i can't even express it so great the blessings but the knowledge of him inside your heart that devotion. As Adam walked with Christ in the, or God with the, in the garden. Oh, who did Adam walk with in, God, in the garden? I would say it's Christ. He walked with Christ in the garden. Pre-incarnate in Jesus. But hey, that's another thing. So too we walk with Jesus in this life. Beloved, be excited. Be excited. Uh, and ambitious to live to the extent that God has called you to live. Hold on to that promise. Lord, Lord, you have promised us rest. You have promised us rest, not just in the life that is to come, but in this life. The fullness of the blessing. Oh, Lord, that I might know you, that my heart might be soft. 
that, Lord, your blessings might flow in me, to me, and through me. Oh, and what a world we would live in then. What a world we would live in then. We have seen glimpses in times past in church history before of when the blessing of Christ came through Spurgeon's time. I know it was controversial, lots of stuff happened and all this. But Spurgeon for me is one of those true examples of when the God just poured out the blessing. It was at a time when people's hearts were hardened, but then a group of people got it and it spread throughout all, all the world. Americas, Europe, Asia, Africa, the golden age of missionary movement. Why? Because people got it. And then sadly, their hearts began to harden and unbelief settled in. Beloved, do not be unbelieving. Do not live like an unbeliever. Believe the promises of God and believe that there is a a great rest, a blessing, a state of relationship with God that is fuller and better and greater than we have yet to experience. And it's there for us. Same as the opposite is the the true as well. Because of the unbelief. Are you content to remain in your unbelief? Content simply to know Christ but yet not to be walking with him, to be participating with him, to be going on with him? Are you happy just to sit there and to pay your outward tithe duty expectations of being here but then inwardly you're like what's on TV tonight what am I going to watch when I get home on the computer what book am I going to read what am I going to do and for the rest of the week Christ is forgotten until you go to midweek meeting until you go to next Sunday service beloved understand and hear the warning that there will be consequences for those God's wrath not in a way that he casts you into hell but in a way that he refrains from allowing you to enter into the fullness of the blessing that should frighten you don't you love him he loves you he gave Christ to die for you I mean literally his son his very own son his beloved son he allowed him to be tortured and bled to death in order that you might live. That should mean something to you. Beloveds, let's not allow our hearts to be hardened or give in to the deceitfulness of sin. Let us be those who hear the voice of God, who guard their hearts and go on with him into the promised land of the Christian experience in order that he might receive much glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Truly we understand that there is a high calling upon us. Truly we understand, Lord, that there is the expectation that we give everything. As Christ gave everything, Lord, then we too would give everything. Lord, whatever that looks like, we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for times in past when we have allowed our hearts or indeed purposely hardened our hearts against your word. Lord, when we have given in to the deceptive ease of casual sin. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our casual treating of you. Lord, of this 
wickedness and evil heart that plagues us and deceives us and tells us that we're okay and that you love us and that you're not angry with us. And Lord, there's no consequences to our inaction or, or Lord, wickedness. We are truly grateful that you are merciful and gracious and loving. We thank you, Lord, that eternal life means eternal life. And for those of us who believe, Lord, that you will never remove that, but we are very aware, Lord, that there are consequences, real-life consequences to our inaction and our unbelief, Lord, and the hardening of our hearts. High Lord, that it restricts our walk with you and restricts our usefulness in this world. Lord, how we defame you and cause your name to be blasphemed among the Gentiles. Lord, we ask that you would help us. Lord, help us. Lord, give us the convictions that we need in order to take the steps to change our lives, to change our behaviours. Lord, to change our actions and our attitudes in accordance with your word and your will that you might receive glory, that you may be pleased, Lord, that we might know you and enjoy you forever. Oh God, help us. Lord, we, do not des- we desire not to be like the churches of our age. We do not desire, Lord, to be like the, the churches of our generation that have turned away and embraced the, the fantasies of men, Lord, that have replaced your word for their own notions. Lord, we desire to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Oh God, we know that you are faithful. We ask this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.